Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. I, I, I want to talk to you, uh, I'm going to keep it on theme this Wednesday. I want to talk to you about uh, wisdom, but I also want to talk to you about this friction that we have when we become Christians and we invite Christ into our lives. We're told, how many were told, hey, we need to do the will of God. Now, now when we, and a lot of us say amen, but there's people in this room that they don't understand really what that means for their life. And, and so when you say, you know, I, I, I became a Christian, now there's this friction. There's friction with your ambition and the wisdom of God. Because the world tells us we need to do all these things. We need to go get a degree, a college degree. We need to go to school. We need to be able to have all these things. So, or we need to get all these things so we can live the life that we ambitiously want. Right? I know a lot of us are in the midst, or all of us are in the midst of inflation. And we're questioning, did I do the right thing? Did I, did I, did I follow the right path? Am I, am I where God wants me to be? Or is there something else that he has for my life? You know, so ambition, it, it creates this friction with you and God, especially if you're sitting here and you're kind of in a crossroads. Maybe you're, you're in a crossroads with your career, you're, or maybe you're questioning if, if, you should, if you should follow God or not. But ambition is a strong desire to do something or achieve something. And we all have our personal achievements. How many of us have some goals that we have in our life? Right? We all want the big house. We, you know, some of us probably have the same goals. We want the big house, the nice car, eating at the expensive restaurants. Right? We, some of us want those nice things, right? And so we're going to work hard. We're going to try to do, you know, we're going to try to make sure we make the most money we can so we can live comfortably. But the Bible tells us something different. The Bible tells us to rely on God for all these things. Now I want to tell you just a quick story and then I'll pray. But I, I, there was this one time, well, not this one time, I was, I was growing up, I was graduating high school. I was getting ready to graduate high school. You had to start thinking about what you want to do with your life. And my plan, me and my buddy, our plan was always to go into the Air Force. And we wanted to go, man, we wanted to fly jets. Not just go into the Air Force, but we specifically said we want to be pilots. We want to fly jets. We want to fly fighter. We want to fly fighter jets. We want to be up in the sky. You know, we want to dogfight. We want to do all those things. And so my buddy, he, you know, he always wore glasses. And so we're, you know, we're coming up to our senior year in high school, and uh, you know, we start asking ourselves like, hey, uh, when are you going to go into the office and sign up for the Air Force? And I go, oh, I don't know. And I, I remember I, I had just started thinking about, oh, okay, I need to go into the office to do this because my buddy's going to do it. And we're going to go in the Air Force together. So we had this plan. It was a perfect plan. And so my buddy gets in there before me and he walks in and he says, I'd like to join the Air Force. And I, I'd like, you know, I'm, he's talking to the recruiter and everything. And he tells me, you know, I want to be a pilot. And the guy kind of looks at him funny. And he goes, well, I got some bad news for you. You can't be a pilot. And he goes, why not? He goes, because you wear glasses. Oh, man. He was broken. And me, I'm kind of like, dude, what the heck? That foiled our plan. I'm supposed to be your wingman. I'm supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to do this together, man. 
And now he can do it. And then, believe it or not, I end up getting saved. I meet my wife. And, um, and uh, I'm not in the Air Force. <laughs> but I just say all those things is because how many of us have a plan, but then God wrecks that plan? And he, he says, no, 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 you're not going to be a pilot. You're going to do something else. And so there's always that friction. There's just always that friction where I need to, some of us are sitting here saying, I need to know, I need the wisdom of God to know what he wants for my life so I can be on that path. Some of us don't want to be on that path. Others want to be on that path. So let's pray. If you would just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from you, hear your word. And Jesus, I pray that you would meet with us this evening. Father, that your spirit would begin to saturate everyone in this building and to those watching online, that the words and the scriptures we read would go to begin to mold us and shape us, would go into our, our ears, Lord, and begin to change us and transform us. Father, we ask tonight that you would just help us to understand more about your character, more about your wisdom, and your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I became a Christian, I had to learn to tie my ambitions with God's ambitions. And tonight I'm going to talk about ambition. Because there's one thing for you to have a plan, but then there's another thing to make God a part of that plan. We have to make God a part of our ambition. And there's always this uncomfortability of asking myself, is this my ambition or is it God's will for my life? Am I on the correct path or am I on the path that I paved for myself? And so even at, I, I'm going to just, don't laugh at me, okay? I'm going to say my age. Even at 40 years old, I began to think about, wow, what's cool? Come on. I'm still young, man. Okay, even at 40 years old, you start to think about, dude, are you, are you doing the right thing? So it doesn't stop. So if you're young and, or younger than me, it's going to happen to you. You're going to start to reassess your life saying, God, is this where you want me? Is this the church you want me at, Lord? Is this the pastor you want me to be underneath, Lord? Is this the leader or connect group leader you want me to be underneath, Father? Are these are the things you start to really question your, your life. And you're saying, God, I just want the wisdom to understand your direction for my life. Because I don't want to screw up my life. How many want to screw up your life? Raise your hand. We're going to pray for you right now if you raised your hand. I don't want to screw up my life. I know that what, God, what, the word, what the Word of God tells me is I know if I trust in Him, I'm going to have the best life. And the best life doesn't necessarily line up with the ambitions that I have planned for it. Are you with me? The best life isn't, isn't always lined up. God's plan isn't always lined up with the ambitions that you have for your life. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. See, the way we have to look at wisdom is to say, God, I want your wisdom. How many are pretty street smart in here? Raise your hand. Like, hey, I'm pretty street. There's some confident people in here. Praise God. 
you're street smart. Good for you. Like we're living our lives in the street or something. <laughs> I walked you guys into that one. Hey, I may not have the, the, the straightest A's at school or anything like that, but I'm street smart. Anybody ever say that? Growing up? Guess what? I said that. You can make fun of me. Right? I, I maybe didn't have all those great straight A's or anything like that in school, but I, you know, I had some kind of wisdom. But you know, when I think about wisdom, I don't think it's, it's wisdom that comes from man or, or, or even you know, from experience. I think there's a certain wisdom that comes from the Lord. I think this wisdom that comes from the Lord, you see it, you see it early on when God entrusts Timothy to start a church in Ephesus, and he begins to entrust him with that. And he gives Timothy all the wisdom, and he has the Apostle Paul as his mentor, and he begins to listen, and Paul writes him letters, First and Second Timothy, to begin to give him instruction. I see that as God is giving somebody wisdom. I see wisdom as something that he can give to someone younger than myself to instruct me about my life. That is a different type of wisdom. That's why I can listen to people that are younger than me, people that know the Bible maybe a little bit more than me, and I won't look at their age, I won't look at the color of their skin or their background, I will listen because I know that God's wisdom, it, it, it just really is, it's, it's transparent, it moves in people and in, in and out of people, and I, I know that that wisdom is slightly different than the wisdom we have here on earth. That wisdom is a little bit more deeper. It's, it's a little bit, it, can, it has a little bit more depth. They may not have the experience, but the wisdom kind of supersedes it and you think they do have the experience. I love talking to older people. And I'm not gonna put an age on it or anything, okay? So don't, but I just love talking to older people because I start to glean from their experience, Especially older people in the church, that people have been in the church for a long time, you start to glean from that. And, and you start asking them questions, sitting down with them, and, and just talking with them because they have so much wisdom. But you know how I look at wisdom? I start to think about it as we're in this theme. I look at wisdom like it's the residue to what God is designing for our lives. In other words, there are some leftovers that we're on this path. God has built something for us over there. And we're on this path, and we keep walking down this path, and every now and then I'm seeing some kind of residue that I'm on his path. I'm seeing something that he built for us, something that he built for me and my wife, something that he's building for us, and it's just a little, maybe every few steps I see something, okay, I'm on the right path because here's some residue to what God is building in my life. The way I see that is I look at situations that I find myself in and I see God intervene. Okay, there's a little bit of residue right there. I'm on the right path. I then look at different things in my life where I'm reading scripture and then God begins to give me some revelation and he begins to speak to me. I see there's a little bit of residue from what God has planned for my life and I'm gonna hold on to that. That tells me I'm on the right path. But see, some of us, we're not on the path. We're not finding any clues. Some of you are not finding any clues. You're on the wrong path. You're on a path that's built by selfish ambition. In other words, there's no residue on this path. This is a path where you're, it's kind of bare. It's, 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 it's barren. It's, it's dusty. It's, it's, there's nothing there. There's no life. Nothing. I, I can't hear from God. There's nothing there that is holy about the path that you're walking on. So what is your ambition? Because your ambition says a lot about your wisdom. 
Are you living a life in your name when you should be living a life in his name? Pastor Isaac, me and him were talking this past Sunday, and he used a word, and I told you I was going to use it in my sermon, because I, he used a word that I haven't heard in a long, a long time. He said, romanticizing. Romanticizing. Because what people do is we begin to romanticize things for our life. We romanticize narratives. We romanticize, oh, okay, I can have a life like that, or I want a life like that, and I want to do this, I want to do that. And, and really what people begin to do, they, they start to force themselves into a narrative because they're romanticizing about something or a lifestyle that they want. In other words, they're not chasing God's plan. They're chasing somebody else's plan because it looks cool. It looks awesome. It looks like they're blessed. And you know what? Social media is right behind that laughing at you because that's what it's all built around. You know, social media just starts to, you start looking at it, it starts to tell you, oh, look, they did that. Oh, look, they did this. Oh, my God, their marriage is amazing. Oh, look, he's got a Tesla. Oh, look, oh, my God, he's got all this. Oh, he's doing so well. Look at that. They're so happy. Look at that. And we think that, oh, my God, I need this for my life. Maybe I should go to that church. And so we live a life of narratives. It's a narrative. Because we begin to tell ourselves, we begin to narrate in our own mind, our own ambition, because we're romanticizing about it. I want to, I want to ask you two questions. How far does selfish ambition get you? That's the first question. The second question is, how far does selfless ambition get you? See, because when I think about selfless ambition... I'm thinking about it's an ambition that is probably not mine. When I think about ministry, I think about the exhaustion sometimes of it, how tired we can be. Those of you that are in ministry here in this church, you know what I'm talking about. It's a selfless ambition. In other words, I'm saying, look, I'm exhausted, I'm tired of this, but I'm not going to quit because this is the residue that God has that he's designing for my life. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. That's wisdom. Because you're looking, you're saying, look, am I on the right path? Oh, there's a little bit of God right here. I'm on the right path. Am I going down the path? Am I on the right path? There's a little bit more of God. Okay, I'm on the right path. I, I think I can feel this. I'm, I'm, okay, God's with me. All right, we're, we're doing this, God. That's the selfish ambition. And we see this early on with humanity, where Christ, or I'm sorry, where God had to deal with this in Genesis. Now, if you ever want to learn about how we should behave or how God's relationship is with humanity, if you ever have to, if you ever want to learn about that, you start in Genesis. Because we learn in Genesis, right? We see Noah, right? How he was faithful, right? When everyone was laughing at him, he continued to build the ark, right? And then we, we see later on, we get into this story early on in Genesis 11. And I'm going to read this to you about the Tower of Babel which is going to be our main text tonight. This is what selfish ambition looks like, and this is the reaction that God has to that. How many know that God reacts to our actions? So when you're walking down this path for your life, you have to understand that I have to measure and see how God reacts because that's a form of residue. 
If I see that that's where God wants, or if I'm doing something that God doesn't want, he's going to react in a certain way. And I want to see that reaction. So let's, let's read Genesis chapter 11, starting in, uh, in verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled, settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamin for mortar. Verse 4 goes on to say, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, there are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So listen to this in verse 7. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it is, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what ended up taking place is they started to build this tower. And they said, we need to build this tower because of our advancement. Let's show it off a little bit. We have technology, we got brick, we got some mortar, let's show it off, right? If the media team could put that picture up there. So this isn't the actual tower, so don't get excited. <laughs> if you didn't know, nobody's found it yet. Okay, but this is the tower, this is kind of a picture or a painting of the Tower of Babel. Now the reason I picked this painting is because you'll see that the tower stretches all the way past the clouds, representing going past the heavens, and so these people wanted to show off everything that they can do. How many of you, when you learn a new skill, you want to show it off? Right? Hey, I could do that. Those of us at the park playing basketball, pretending to know, pretending and acting like we know what we're doing. Actually, it's volleyball now. I see a lot of people are volleyball experts out there now. Right? And then we got some tug of war experts, you know, wearing their short uh, shoulder sleeves. Some of us have never seen that before, but all of a sudden we're playing tug of war and you want to show it off. I get it. See what? They started to show it off. They said, let's build this, right? Let's build this because at this time they started to learn about brick and mortar. They started to learn, uh, they had some technology, so they wanted to show it off. And they said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to make a name for ourselves. Now, Really, there was a name above all names that they failed to really follow, and that was Yahweh. And they, be, they began to fail following him, and they said, look, I don't want to be known as Yahweh's people, the Israelites. I don't want to be known as the children of God. I want to make a name for myself. So let's make a name for ourselves, because this is what happened is, is that what pe this is what people want. You can go ahead and take that picture down. No one's looking at me anymore. <laughs> Thank you, media team. What, what people want, they want two things. 
okay? And you're gonna agree with, if you don't agree with this, then we'll pray for you afterwards. People want two things in life. They want security and they want praise. Now let me talk about security, right? We see this with them. They, th their action was to build this city, right? And the purpose was in order not to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In other words, they wanted to remain together because what they had was good. Together they saw, hey, we just need us. We don't necessarily need Yahweh. We just need us. See, in life, we will chase and build our own security sometimes. And this can get in the way of God. I'm going to say it again. We can chase and build our own security sometimes, and this can sometimes get in the way of God. In other words, I'm not going to rely on God because I have everything together. I don't need him in my life at this moment. Therefore, I'm going to continue on building my own security. Right? So it has this opposite effect where, yes, we want security, but you're not actually, you don't have the greatest security of all, which is God, Yahweh. And so in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6, it says this, Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. But unfortunately, they did not understand this. So if we don't find security in God, we end up finding it in other things. You know what the, the number one thing that we feel secure with is money. We end up finding things like, oh, you know what? I got a lot of money right now. You know, let, you know let's, hey, let's go on like back-to-back -back vacations and let's miss some church. Now, you don't say that deliberately, but you're not thinking about church when you got like 20 Gs of bonus money to throw on a vacation. That's the last thing from your mind. Some of you don't even want to give to God. So you say, you know, I'm going to do this instead. I'm not saying you can't go on vacation, but I'm just saying like, where's your priorities at? Well, I got all this money, Pastor. I got I to spend it. No, you don't. That was another sermon, right? Pastor Omar preached on. The next thing they wanted is they want praise. How many like to be praised? Mm. Do you know why we like to be praised? Because we're made in the image of God. Oh, you didn't know that, huh? Yeah, our God, he loves to be praised. So we praise him. That's why we open up church with worship. And we, we, our God loves praise. So even if you don't like it, he loves it. You know, if you're there like this, like, hurry up, man. Like, what is this worship team taking so long? Why is Danielle taking so long? That was a little shot at her because she's leaving and I love her to death. I'm going to miss her. Okay, but I love you, Danielle. But it, again, God loves praise. And the action that they did, they, they wanted praise. They built a tower to the heavens because they wanted that praise. Look, I'm going to build this tower. Let's build this tower. Let's build this city. Let's show it off, right? In order that we make our name great. That we have our own name. We want to show how great we are, right? We want to show everyone how hard we work. So we put it on social media because we want praise, we want to show people the blessings that we have. So we put it on social media because we want praise. See, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 1 through 4. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that boasting of things isn't correct. It's the wrong understanding. We want to say, okay, hey, I'm going to boast about this, boast about that. We have to be careful with that. Jesus himself says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, even if you're in ministry, you're not doing it to be in front of people. The two biggest things, security and praise, can begin to change and shift us into our own ambition. Because we're seeking things that the Lord automatically provides by default. Church, I'm here to tell you it's a default factor. That when you begin to serve God and you put him first, the security and the praise, it just comes. The honor you get comes from the Lord. Stop looking for praise from other people. Stop looking for praise from the leadership, the pastors. The the praise comes from God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, our ambition should be here for God. If your ambition is not to line up with God's will, then, you're, then it's a selfish ambition. See, when you don't recognize God, you will default to your own selfish ambitions. When you don't recognize him, you're going to default right into your own selfish desires because you're not recognizing him. If you don't believe God has a destiny for your life, then you're going to be destined, then you're going to destine it without him. You're saying, you know what, I don't know. I don't know if I want God in my life. I don't see him. I don't seek him. Those that don't see him are those that don't seek him And then what ends up taking place is they start to seek the material life. If there's no holy expression in your life, then you're going to seek and find expression in the material life. So you're saying, I've been sitting here. I've been in this church for a while. I've been trying to grow. How come nobody seeks me? How come no one asks me to teach? How come no one gives me the microphone? How come I'm not being picked to do these certain things, but this leader is? How come I'm not doing these? If you're sitting there doing that, you're already playing with selfish ambition. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this to Timothy. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is a heavy understanding because you have to understand that you may want to hear what you want to hear. So when we say, hey, that sermon was really good, is it possible you're saying that because you're hearing what you want to hear? Or is the sermon good because the, the word of God is being read and Jesus was talking and we were reading what Jesus was saying? Is that why the things are good? Right? If we're not careful, we start to fall into narratives and that is a selfish, ambitious trait where we're looking for a narrative to kind of guide us. Here's some kind of some narratives that you'll hear people say around the workplace that probably don't go to church. Do what you feel. How many have heard that? If I did what I 
felt a lot of the times, I would be in prison. That is the worst advice you can give somebody. But yet there are people in the break room that'll give advice to other people saying, you know, just do what you feel. Right? Am I the only one that's twisted or are you? Oh, okay, I'm the only one. All right. Well, I got the microphone. Hey, here's the other one. You deserve happiness. Oh, I don't like that one, Pastor Rob. I think I do deserve happiness. Do you? You've been that great. Do you really deserve happiness? Because life isn't that fair. Right? Follow your heart. I think that was a good song by uh, Celine Dion one time. Right? Follow your heart. Right? Again, if I followed my heart, you know, I'd, I'd probably be at every Laker game with season tickets. Broke. Right? Again, it's just one of those things. You, do you really want to follow your heart? Or you know what my favorite is? You do you. Someone told me that one time at work. What does that mean? You're on my team. What do you mean you do you? Another one is look out for you. You guys like look out for you? Hey, look out for yourself. Look out for you. Okay. That's, uh, this is some bad advice. You, you know, in context, I'm not adding context to it, but in certain contexts, a lot of this is really bad advice, right? My favorite, because I was asking my wife, what are some other ones? She said this, live your truth. Because, you know, there's so many different truths out there. If you didn't catch it, church, let me tell you something. There's only one truth. Okay, there, honestly, it, right here, this is a single source of truth right here for, for many nations, for the whole world. This is the single source of truth. That means everything written after this is going to be measured by this truth, right? So again, this is a single source of truth. So live your truth. It, you don't have your truth. It's either the truth or not, okay? Because if it's your truth, guess what? It's just a lie. Right? We say when there's, when there's issues in the church, my, my favorite thing is a lot of people will hang on to, well, she said this. Well, she said this. So it's got to be true. Okay, well, what about the other person? Well, they said this. So it's got to be true. So then you start lining them up. Right? If, 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 if you want to you hear some police tactics, if, if there's two criminals working together, they'll, and they catch them, they're going to separate the two criminals. To see whose story lines up. Because, listen, there's their truth, right? Their truth, and then there's the truth, right? That, there's the real truth, okay? Truth isn't because it makes you feel good, or oh, it must be true, none of that. But these are the narratives you can get caught up with. And thank God the Word of God doesn't follow any of that. The Word of God actually goes against all of that. It says, follow the Lord. Don't follow your heart. Because following the Lord is hard, right? But these are, these are honestly what I just read to you. This is what people call wisdom in the material, in the world. People call this wisdom. That's not even, that's not wisdom. That is far from the truth. Don't listen to any of that. The other thing I want to challenge you on is what about this, this, this friction, right? This selfish ambition. You know, I, I remember I went through a season I'm going to be very open here. I went through a season in my life where I started to get really blessed. 
I'm like, oh man, I, I got, I got it all, man. And Lord, you, you literally, I've served you and you've given me so much. And I would recognize it. But I had a problem. I recognized that God begins to bless you so much and it be, it's, it's, it's harder to remain faithful. Because you start to get things. You start to get that awesome career. You start to get the house. You start to get all these things. You've been, you're, you, know, you have reconciliation with your family or you and your wife have been blessed and your marriage has been refreshed and God begins to move and he begins to sprinkle his miracles all over your life and you just start saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, but you know what? It's hard to remain faithful when everything's going all right. That's when the enemy starts to slip in. This is the wisdom. The enemy starts to slip in and start lying to you, saying you need more. Because you know what's interesting about humanity is we're never, ever satisfied. We're never satisfied. You can have a billion dollars in the bank. It doesn't mean you're enjoying life. But the blessing, unfortunately, has this curvature to it, if you're looking at a graph, to where you've been blessed so much, but then it starts pulling you out of church. For example, your bank account's big because you got a nice business now. Now, I'm not knocking on businessmen, right? But then that starts to pull you out of church because the responsibilities of a business are heavy. They're great. It's a mantle all in itself. But then it starts to pull you out of church. Now, the way to do it is you say, look, I got these things. I got the blessings, but I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm still going to do these things. Yes, I have a business. Yes, I got a new career. Yes, I got all these things and God continues to bless me. But I'm going to continue to do the things of God because he's called me to do them. It's an interesting verse in James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you have asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. We have to be careful. See, the things we ask for, like when we're in prayer on Saturday mornings, we start asking God for things that we want, like, ooh, I want this, Lord. Ooh, give me this, Lord. Give me that, Lord. Give me that, Lord, pay this bill. Yeah, Lord, give me this job. Lord, give me all these things. And God is asking for things like this. God, I want more of your wisdom. God, I want more of your understanding of the scriptures. God, I want more responsibility in the church. God, I want more spirituality. God, I want to hear your voice audibly. God, I want you to fill my heart because I'm corrupted. God, I, these are the prayers you should be praying. God, help me with my words. God, help me. Give me a disciple that I could teach. God, but instead we ask God for the material things. That's the selfish ambition creeping up in our lives. In the scripture of the Tower of Babel, we see that God brings confusion to the people. See, Babel literally, it means to confuse, to mix, or mingle. So in verse 6, God intervenes by confusing their language. He provides confusion. So if you're confused in your life, it's possible that God is trying to show you something. Something that can only be revealed during prayer. So listen here. If you're confused about 
something, it's more than likely because it's going against the will of God. It's causing friction. See, like, I'm confused. Should I do this or should I do that? I'm a little confused. So there's some friction that's taking place in your life. It's creating a spark. But it's, you're, you're just a little bit, a tad confused. This is when you get into prayer. You should be praying about the things you're confused about. God, reveal this to me. God, give me understanding. Lord, shut the door on this opportunity if you don't want me to have it. But we see that the word babble means to confuse, to mix, to mingle. Even in the Old Testament, we actually see the word babble referenced in place of Babylon in the Old Testament as well, which I found very interesting in my studies. See, the city of Babylon, if you don't know the history of Babylon, they began to rule the world, or the ancient world, I should say. And so Babylon started to represent nothing really good. I think it was uh, evangelist John Tahaji talked about Habakkuk, how the Chaldeans were coming, and Habakkuk is his prophet, telling them, just telling them, hey, God, calm down. Like, these people are coming. They're going to take us over, and they're going to take over our town. They're going to they're gonna mess up everything, and they're going to spread us across. You know, they're going to exile us, and they're going to spread us across the land. We're going to be in disarray. And so we see that Babylon represents, it symbolizes humanity's ambition to dethrone God. We see this specifically that Babylon wanted to, even in the book of Daniel, Babylon wanted to get rid of God out of everything. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the, and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So this is why... Daniel goes in the den of lions because he didn't want to get rid of God out of his life. Even though society is telling him less of God, more of the material world, follow Babylon, follow the king, Daniel starts to show his faith in public. So much as the king started to notice how different Daniel was. He was going against the grain and it started to influence the king and he got favor with the king. So much faith that Daniel had. Not only did he get favor with the king, he gets thrown into the lion's den and he gets favor with the lions. Daniel became an influence not only to the people around him, but all of Babylon. See, I'm gonna tell you something, church. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, get this. God reacts when you react to him. See, you gotta make a move and let him see it. But not a move with selfish ambition in mind and say, God, I'm going to make this move, but I need you to come with me. God, I'm going to pray for this, but I need you to come with me. If you're not going to come with me in this decision, then please close the door. Please shut the door. Daniel was seen and treated like an enemy because he served Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. You know what I love about the name of Yahweh? It specifically represents the God of the Israelites. It specifically represents the miracles that are found in Scripture. So when people say, yeah, I, I worship God. Yeah, do you worship Yahweh? You worship Jesus? That's the God I worship. Because that's the God in here. There's no other God that is represented in here other than Yahweh and Jesus, God the Father, the Trinity. That is the only God that we should be following. We shouldn't be following any other gods or any other New Age theology that you think you could drum up. We should follow the God that Daniel worshiped, that Daniel prayed for. That's 
the God we should follow. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, check this out. Oh, before I can't, I'm jumping ahead. This is an amazing passage. I want you guys to get this. I'm going to close it up with this pretty soon, I promise. Daniel continued to just be radical in his faith. And we see that he, he just doesn't, he just doesn't care. Even though the ordinances were passed and against prayer, he continued to pray. Even when people didn't want anything to do with God, he continued to do his own thing. He didn't worry about other people. He just worried about his relationship with the Father, his relationship with Yahweh. And he began to examine that. And so he begins to get this vision. But at the end of this vision, this is what takes place in Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. It says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you and when he had spoken these words to me I stood up trembling then he said to me fear not Daniel from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God your words listen church your words have been heard and I have come because of your words in other words, the, the wisdom that we're seeking shouldn't be wisdom that we get from the streets. It shouldn't be, get, be wisdom that we just get from our friends or our family. The first reaction we should have is our words to the Lord. Imagine God telling you, I have come because of your words. I have blessed you because of your words. Just as Solomon was blessed because of his words. Just as Daniel was blessed because of his words. God is a God that listens. He listens to the words that you speak. Are you speaking words with fear or are you speaking words with faith? This is what God is looking for. This is the wisdom. Because when you have the wisdom, you're going to know the exact wording of what you want. For God to hear. See, the words you speak to God are far more powerful than any word you speak here on earth with anybody else. These words leave this earth and they go straight to the heavens when you're in prayer. How much more important is it for you to have a prayer life? To talk about these things with God. To talk about your concerns. To talk about your issues because you messed up. How much more should you actually begin to set time aside and say, I am going to seek the wisdom of the Lord because my own selfish ambitions have got me in trouble. Or my own selfishness has put me in a box. I need, some, I need God to come rescue me. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And so this evening, I want you to understand that we don't just do church here. We're looking for lives to be changed and impacted by the word of God. It's not because I preached a sermon. It's because God has spoken. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but, all, but also to all, excuse me, all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown that Paul began to work towards in his ministry. It was a goal. It was an ambition. And in 2 Timothy, we hear about this, we hear about this crown and the crown has a name. He says, I, I want the crown of righteousness. 
Now I understand that Paul's life was just, it, was, it, it, it wasn't a great life. It was a life, he was shipwrecked, he was bruised, he was beaten, he was stoned almost to death. And his ministry got him into a lot of trouble. He was house arrested several times, ends up going to Rome. And, uh, and all he was seeking through the whole time was this, and, he, and we see it in Timothy where he mentions it, he's seeking this crown of righteousness. He wasn't seeking money. He wasn't seeking a home. He was seeking a crown of righteousness that he cannot see. Now that is not a selfish ambition. That is something very selfless because the expectations that God has for you are very high. The standards are high. I think the world wants to tell you, you know, we're all God's children. We're all going to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not true at all. The gate is narrow. Very narrow, as Jesus told us. And so that means the standard is high, church. So that means when there's sin in the church and then we confront it, because that gate is narrow. Meaning you can't bring anything else with you. It's narrow. It's shoulder width. It's just you. It's just you. The tower represents the selfish ambition of wanting our own desires rather than the wisdom of our creator. And Babylon represents all the distractions from the Almighty. What we build out of selfish ambition can cost us the will of God for our lives. We need to align ourselves. We have a, a, a value called define and align. I don't want you to take that lightly, but it's really defining what God has for our lives to do ministry together, but also aligning with his will. We are to align our lives to his will. And with that, we get the security and we get the praise we need. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.